in five, four, three. Hello, everyone. Welcome and welcome back to Microscope. Guess who's with me today? Who else? But Mike. It would be me. It would be me. <laughs> How you doing, Mike? How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. Um, WISP had our first uh, pitch meeting the other day to a potential client that wants us to produce a show for them. So things are getting real. You know, we're going to elevate the level of uh, our services and our shows, and Microscope is no exception. In fact, this week, you have prepared a PowerPoint presentation for us, which is going to help us stay on track, and I really appreciate that. So we've gotten some feedback from some listeners, and most of whom are, are friends of yours that are also scientists, postdoc, you know, whatever it may be, and they really wanted us to get a little bit nerdier. But before we get there, we sort of need to explain, like, what we're talking about. So let's start off with what is microbiology? We know that that's what you're getting your PhD in, but I don't think people really understand, like, what it actually is. So, and because a lot of times, and you and I discuss this, things that we can't see, touch, feel, smell, hear, it's hard for us to say, oh, yes, it, it's really here, it really exists. We just don't get it, yeah. yeah. You just don't get it. But, you know, you used a really great uh example that we'll get to in a second. But basically, microbiology is the study of microbes and microorganisms that are, like, minute living beings unable to be seen with the naked eye. So things like fungi and, or fungi, sorry, uh, bacteria, viruses, and some of them are pathogenic. So what do we mean by pathogenic? So pathogenic means that it can cause sickness in humans. Mm -hmm. Does it mean that that bacteria was specifically built to harm a human? No, that just means that it's Normal lifestyle, its environment that it lives within just causes ill effects on the human body. Perfect. And that's really the only time we think about germs is when we're sick. You know, when you're laying in bed and you can't breathe out of your nose and you're like, why did I take for granted all those times I could actually breathe? That's really the only time we think about bacteria and viruses. But um, a lot of bacteria is really beneficial. You used a great example a few weeks ago when you were talking about trash and that your trash is literally alive. You know, a lot of people are just like, oh, throw this in the garbage, whatever, take it out, forget about it. But it's literally, there, there's so many billions of uh, micro or, microorganisms that are um, being born, essentially, that are multiplying, that are breaking down born. your garbage. <laughs> like, well, you know I've never what I mean. Really to that. Yeah, no, yeah. But they are. They're 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 becoming a, a thing, an entity, a creature, whatever you want to call it. But there are some forms of microbic communities that you can see without a microscope. Ha ha! Yeah. Plug the show. Uh, I'm microscope. Uh, I like Look at that. that. <laughs> so yeah. So let's talk about yeah. Let's talk about those communities that you can see with the naked eye. I'm pretty sure we've all seen on rocks sort of these like very colorful, sort of dry-looking pieces of paper is probably the best way I could describe it. We call those lichen, and those are a microbial community that has grown so big, and it's this symbiotic relationship with cyanobacteria, right? Remember cyanobacteria from the coral, but this time it's cyanobacteria and fungi, 
And the, they make these, you know, very beautiful, colorful, dry communities on these rocks. Is, okay, so I always try not to touch, like, nature. But, you know, I try to sort of leave it as it is. But when I was younger, of course, I had to touch everything. So when we go and take, um, like, an off of rocks, is that doing any harm? Like, should we leave it? Can you touch Is it? Is that doing any – no, I think you can touch it. I mean, so that outer coating um, is made of, like, a very hard substance, which protects the plant or protects the microbial community. Oh, okay. Um, at touching it, you're not going to mess up the entire thing. Breaking it off the rock is going to mess it up, though. So don't go ripping it off. Can it grow – so I know that lichen grows on rocks and trees. It can't – well, well, what would happen? What it if I were to, to be, go and rip it yeah, off no. of something and then drop it on the ground in the middle of the forest? Like, could it regrow and populate on the ground, or does it need at a surface? No, so technically the ground can be considered a surface, but the way that microbial community has evolved um, to exist is a very low-nutrient, low-water environment. So if you were to take that lichen off this rock and put it in the soil where it's much more nutrient dense and moist, it wouldn't, it wouldn't survive. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Because they're like, oh, it's like the same thing. This isn't the environment I want to be in. (laughs) I'm leaving. It's like, it's like humans (laughs) don't belong outside for extended periods of time in a hundred degree weather. (laughs) I know that's what you've been experiencing out where you are. So, (laughs) you know, we think about microbial, microbial communities and we, you know, think of like a town, you know, they're different members of society. There's workers, there's firemen, there's policemen and different bacteria make up these groups uh, and species as well. But a lot of this is unknown because we can't see it. So today, Mike, what are we going to be talking about today? Today we're going to focus on microbial communities, so all the different members and what they do, but located on glacial snow. So we've all heard of glaciers, and there are these vast amounts of microbial communities that live on top of these ice blocks. All right, right now, I know that the Arctic is being disproportionately affected by global warming because with everything getting so warm, it's putting more water into the climate systems and um, and storms. So talk to me a little bit about, like, glaciers in general. We all know what they look like. They're massive. You know, they're in very, very cold places. Of ice. But, yep. but there's so much more to them than I think a lot of people realize. So break that down for us. Yeah, so... Today we're going to talk about the, we could sort of sum it up into one term called glacial microbiology. So sort of the microbial communities that live on and around these glaciers. Now the thing to keep in mind is that it's still very much in its infancy, right? So our ability to study these very, very small organisms is still relatively new. Um, but we've known that these microbial communities have existed on these glaciers since way back, um, since Aristotle's time, the Greek philosopher, mm-hmm. because these microbial communities um, are very distinct against the white snow. So they are this, like, very bright red color um, growing on top of these glaciers. So it's almost mm-hmm. like you have this big white expanse of snow, and then on top of that you just see all these, like, 
red blotches. Well, those red blotches are the microbial communities. That's really we, interesting that, like, yeah. you would think in such a cold place that not a lot would grow, but in fact, that's not true. You know, when you mix water and sun, <laughs> things are going to grow, and they're going to grow no matter <laughs> how cold it is. I think exactly. that's nuts. Nature finds yeah. a way, man. That's what we always say. It finds a way. So, okay, I know that this is essentially, like, a protection mechanism, and it's similar to, like, when humans go out in the sun and our skin produces melanin, melatonin, geez, melanin, which causes us to tan, or some of us, like myself, because I'm Asian, we're born with a little melanin in our skin, um, that this is yeah, so the, the algae's protection against the sun. Exactly. It's, it's this red color because this red is sort of the melanin in human skin. And us, it's brown, and them, it's red. So this whole phenomenon is known as red snow, and what it does is it reduces the surface re reflectivity of the sun's rays, which then increases melting rates of snow, which is not uh, which is not great. So, yeah, there so is let's ex let's explain that a little bit more though. Um, so we all know that when you wear sort of like a black shirt in the middle of the sun, you're going to get hotter than if you wear a white shirt. So the same thing is going on with this red snow. So as these microbial communities that are red make up more of the glacier surface, surface, they're actually absorbing more of that heat coming from the sun and thus causing it to melt at a much faster rate because it's absorbing more, um, more, more of the sun's energy. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So there's a study. I know you love to talk about studies, and this one was Always by. About <laughs> well, this one is also out of the University of Leeds, um, and it was with lots. Why don't you talk about this? Yeah. So we talked a little bit about like what red snow is. Well, this group at the University of Leeds wanted to see who makes up these members of the red snow, and sort of how do they change across different sites, right? So there's not just one glacier, there's multiple different glaciers. And they make up, or these different glacier sites have different um, sort of different characteristics about them. So they wanted to look at how these glacier characteristics play a role in the community members um, of the red snow. Got so let's, yeah, so let's think about this. So humans are comprised of many different things, right? We have proteins, we have sugar, uh, which all make up the skin, make up your hair, make up yep. your eyes. Water. And, and Well, water is also part of it, exactly. Well, the instructions to make all of these components um, is written down and encoded in your DNA. So what these researchers did at the University of Leeds was look at the DNA of these microbial communities to sort of identify what instructions they could find which link back to the microbial members that make up the red snow. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, when you think of your body, you're just like, yay, my body. But, I mean, you are made up of billions and billions of different living organisms that are all working together to make it so that you can function as a human, so that, you know, you can absorb food and nutrients and you can, you know, protect your organs and you can digest things and you can balance your blood sugar. Like, it, the human body is so complex. So what the scientists were trying to do was, with that same understanding and 
sort of, you know, need for a, a recipe in mind, they tried to then apply that to their understanding of red snow and how it differed uh, in different parts of the world. So now I want to know, what did they find? What did they find? So collectively, they looked at over 40 different red snow samples, okay? And they collected these samples or these communities from 16 different glaciers all over the Arctic. So some of these locations included Svalbard, uh, northern Sweden, Greenland, and Iceland. So they went to each of these different locations and literally just scraped the red snow off of these glaciers. And one of the big things that they found is that... Wait, can I reveal it? Because this really shocked me. Yeah, sure. Can this be my moment? Okay. This is your moment. In In the spotlight. Thank you. Yes. All right. Finally. So it's interesting. So these scientists, they went all over the place and they collected samples from all these different locations. And you would think that, okay, maybe one from this place has an elevated level of iron as opposed to this one who is more, you know, carbon rich. I don't know. However, what they actually found was that the bacterial members of the snow were cosmopolitan. They were all the same regardless of the location they were collected in, which is in contrast to other studies that have been done. I just think that's crazy. You know, these are all interesting. And I, I get that like, it's all sort of within sort of the same vicinity, but you would think that one would differ from the next, but they didn't. They were all the same. It's well, just, yeah, I mean, like, looking at Brooklyn, or not Brooklyn, like, New York City in general, like, there's five boroughs, which are all really close to each other, but the cultures are all different, mm, are very yes. different, right? But if you look at snow, where these places are really, really far away, you'd expect them to be even more different. But they're almost exactly the same. You can't even tell the difference. That's crazy. And the results did show that, like, the four chosen geographic locations differed substantially in concentrations of essential nutrients and salts, sugars, minerals, which have been shown to drive differences in microbial communities. But they could not find any correlations to link these nutrients to specific species. Like, that's nuts to me. And you wouldn't, you know, expect... no correlations between alga species. Um, but yeah, that's what they found. It's crazy. I don't know. I mean, does that, so in your studies, Mike, like, let me bring you into this for a second. And pardon my ignorance. I am not a scientist, but do your samples vary? Like, if you were to go into the peatlands or into these types of, you know, marshy areas, which is sort of your specialty, mm-hmm. do you find that there are quite a few different variations, or do those stay consistent as well? No, so we do see a lot of different um, differences across these different sites. and But a lot of that has actually been linked to um, what we in the field call detritus, so detritus, like we've all seen leaves that fall from, you know, in fall time, they fall to the ground and they rot. Well, these different locations have different plant communities and these plant communities and the leaves that they produce and eventually fall off to the ground all have different chemical characteristics. And mm-hmm. those are really what drives the differences that we see. So I think across all these different snow environments there must be something 
that maintains the stable inhabitants of mm-hmm. this of these continuous members that is not related to nutrients or salts or minerals, which you would think right. related to it. Yeah. That's just, it's crazy. So I know but that. But also, wait, I just want to, I want to, cause I know I'm, somebody's going to be like, uh-huh. you're talking about soil versus snow. Yeah. So soil is a much, much more complex community, right? So the soil microbial communities have about, you know, 10 to a hundred members. Soil communities are made up of close to like 10,000. So th- there's a level of complexity that differs. Got it. Okay. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about what this all means and how it is going to have an impact. So we've also, oh, we've also, jeez, today is not my day to talk. <laughs> no. You, did you have, have coffee already? No, I had no coffee. I think oh, I'm working coffee. on my second, I'm working on my second large iced coffee. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah, all <laughs> I've had is seltzer water and a banana. So I'm in pretty rough shape. Uh, I actually, I went out last night. For the first time in a long time. And granted, I was in bed by midnight, so I don't really know what the problem is. But um, yeah, I did fall asleep with a pizza in the bed with me, so that's always a plus. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about what this actually means. So we've already established that what this is doing is it's making it easier for um, the, having the red you know, pigmentation on the top of the snow makes it easier to absorb the sun's rays and then it melts everything quicker. But I also want to talk about the documented high biomass, which is primarily made up of the red pigment in algae, will invariably affect the amount of light that is reflected from the surface of snow fields. And I know you have you have an exact measurement. Why don't you share it yeah, with us? Yeah, so <laughs> let's also let's also just elaborate on that. So the because you said the word biomass, which is like mm-hmm. exactly the word you should have used, but I think we should explain to listeners what that means. Got it. So okay. biomass. I think we actually did talk about this maybe the first episode. Let's talk about it effect. again. Let's talk about it again. So biomass. We just love biomass here. We Mike love biomass. <laughs> We're actually going to re- rebrand, and the name of our show is going to be Biomass. Wait, Mike, remember when you and I were trying to hack into your Instagram account, and you were like, you gave me your password, and I'm like, what, what is it? your password? And you're like, oh, it's the measurement and the process by which blah, blah, I'm like, goodbye. I can't. can't even deal with you. I can't. I like, it's funny that I, I needed to change my password and I was just learning that in biochemistry. So I was like, I'm going to use this. This sounds like the right Why thing to not? use. Why <laughs> not? You know what? The hackers, we've already experienced one hack by the Russians when we first started this show. Oh. So now I just, I, I'm hoping that they don't get a hold of your password. Even if they do, they're going to be like, what is this? And then hopefully they'll go away <laughs> and be like, this can't possibly. I, that's a French accent. They're probably going to be like, nobody follows them. We're not going to be able to this, this, do anything. <laughs> this can't possibly be the password. This is not a real word. Anyways, all right. So talk to right, me back to biomass, about biomass. Back to biomass. Yeah. So I think to make this understandable, let's call biomass specifically the number of cells. Okay, so if you have 10 cells, you're not going to absorb or there's going to be less light absorbing than if you have millions of cells. 
right? Because more of this red pigment is going to cover a larger area of the glacier, absorbing more heat, while if there's less of it, there's going to be less absorption of the snow. So the big thing, or the big, like, you know, significant data that I wanted to plug in was that they directly measure that the amount of light absorbed by, we'll call it, um, clean snow, right, snow without these algae, it was 90% more reflective, meaning it didn't absorb light, than snow with, um, than snow with this red algae on it. So there's a very, very big difference in the amount of snow or in the sun absorbing capability of red snow versus just regular white snow. Got it. So the strong light absorption is due to the algal blooms, which is much stronger in comparison to absorption by human sources. So if like communities are as large as the ones documented, like if you can basically imagine how, like, how do you explain this? Like, yeah. if, if you can imagine that these <laughs> microbial communities were as large in numbers and in volume as the human, how do you do, you do this? I can't do yeah, this. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry, trying sorry. To, trying to tie it together. I'm just struggling today. I can't do it. So, the one thing we didn't touch on is that the absorption of the sun's rays on these glaciers is not only affected by the red algae. It's also largely affected by human pollution, and right, we, we're pumping things, we're burning coal, which is putting particulates into the air, which then eventually settle on top of these glaciers, Ew. making it dark. So, what? really? Yeah, yeah. Ew! Have you, ever looked, have you ever looked at the streets after um, it snows? Oh, yeah. It's after humans have been around? It's right. Dark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> After humans have been around. I love like this whole show is basically us just being like, only you can prevent forest fires. Only you can stop climate <laughs> change. Only you can stop can putting particulates into the air so that it doesn't get the snow. Basically, what we're trying to say is like humans, step it up because you're a mess and you're making you're a mess of things. So, anyways, okay, Speaking sorry, continue. I'm stepping it up. Wait, I, I have something to tell you after this. Okay, so. Wait, is it about RuPaul? No. Have it's you been about, watching this season? No, I am so busy. I've been working since, like, 11 o'clock every it's night. It's a pretty good, I'm not as caught up as Adriana, that's our, our um, sound engineer. I'm not as caught up as she is, but this season so far is pretty good. And Miss Vangie is back. Vangie. <laughs> Miss Vanji, I, I feel like she she got kicked off of season ten, and then all of a sudden my entire Facebook feed was just like Miss Vanji. I was like, what happened? Mm-hmm. What did I miss? Well, okay, wait, back to back to the red back snow. To science, sorry, we'll talk everyone. About <laughs> okay, so right, the amount of darkening agents we could call it um, that humans produce is just as detrimental as these algal blooms that we see. And especially if these algal blooms can reach a large enough size, right, so their biomass is uh, very high, then it's going to absorb much more light to the glaciers, melting them. Uh, but still, with this work, 
they've shown that the algae is ubiquitous and has very little diversity across the Arctic, which I still think is just a wild fact. So yeah. the work that Lutz did with his team really does, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it does sort of pave the way for a universal model of algal reflective interaction and quantification. This is us talking about data again, pardon us, but and the quantification of uh, additional melting caused by algal blooms when thinking about putting that formula into future client models. Uh, exactly, exactly. Climate, my client models. Climate, okay, that's now the third time I've been unable to speak. Goodness gracious. But yeah, it does. It's, it, it's, this now sort of paves the way for sort of a jumping off point, which I think is great because, you know, part of the work's already done. So now people exactly. can pick up and start from there. Um so quantification, again, like for those of you who are not data nerds like myself and Mike, it's basically like counting. When you quantify something, you're counting and calculating how much of it there is and so on and so forth. Um, yeah. Quick, <laughs> quick data lesson. Anyways, all right. So what else? What else? Okay. So I think, well, so we always like to end our episodes with sort of like, what can you do at home? Right. And today we've sort of talked about these algal blooms and these microbial communities on glaciers. But these algal blooms are actually a big, big problem all over the planet. And a lot of this has to do with nutrient pollution. So as we feed our crops to feed ourselves, rainwater comes in or watering the plant comes in and then washes all these extra nutrients into the waterways. And this causes these algae to be like, oh, my God, yes, here, all this food. Let's <laughs> multiply and make a million of us. Come right? on, guys. So, and like, these are, runoff. It's a, exactly. Yeah. And this is really bad for these ecosystems, right? Because essentially when you – one species takes over, then it, you know, dominates. I mean, that that's species. it, yeah. So I think what you can do at home to sort of help these algal blooms that are causing – um, are two big things. One, um, especially as it's coming up to like summertime, people are going to want to start washing their car more and, you know, to show it off. But make sure when you're washing your car to actually use a commercial car wash, right? So I know it costs a little bit more money to go and have them do it, but they are required by law to dispose of all the water that's used in an environmentally friendly way. So yeah. it must be filtered and it must be recycled properly. Mm-hmm. So all those extra nutrients coming from the soap doesn't go into the waterways. And to further to your point regarding the cost, a lot of car washes, especially the ones that are up in New England, they give you a little card. So like every time you go in and get 10 car washes, you get one free. And, and like you said, it is a little bit extra money, but you know, all those all the chemicals that are in the soap, like they have to go to the right place so that they can be disposed of properly and cleaned properly. And then of course, recycled. So another thing that I like to do in my home is make sure that my cleaning supplies um, are ones that are phosphate free. And that applies to all my detergents, my soaps, as well as most of my cleaners. Um, making sure that you like when you're doing your, your wash, like, Select the proper size. <laughs> if you are just washing, I don't know why you would just wash like a pair of socks, but like if you're just doing a few things, like make sure that you let your washing machine know, hi, it's just a, a small load. It's not, not the full heavy duty shebang when we're trying to wash our duvet covers and winter coats. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, of course, like going off that, like 
making sure that you run your dishwasher only when you have like it filled up. Don't do it when it's just a few don't things. Don't waste the like, water and yeah, don't waste water. The water if you don't have to. Exactly. Yeah, and using the proper amount of detergent. Like this is just it just goes back like. I don't know, man. I don't know what it is. You and I, I think, grew up in households that were very, very conscientious of the environment and nature. And we were sort of taught like, okay, here's how you dispose of your trash. And here's how you recycle. And here's how you compost. And here's we're only going to run the dishwasher like once every other day. And we're going to do it at night. Like, you know, that's how we were always raised. But you'd be so surprised. I remember when I went to college, I had friends of mine that just had no concept of how to responsibly sort of, you know, run. Deal the, with uh, life. Yeah, <laughs> well, deal with life, too. But, yeah, just, like, they had no idea, you know, like, yeah. using reusable bags and, like, only running the dishwasher when it's full and all that kind of stuff. It just blew my mind. Or, like, just literally roasting their clothing in the dryer. You're cooking yeah. your clothing, yeah. you know, unless you have, like, I don't know, but there really is no need ever, unless you're bleaching things, to use, like, super, super hot water when you're doing mm-hmm. your laundry. I don't know. I mean, all these little things you can do to just Yeah, you, I always helpful. use tap cold. Like, yeah, tap cold is an option. Like, whatever's coming out of the tap water, use it. It's fine. Yeah, you know? it's totally fine. It's really The good. other thing, and I've actually started to do this, is I actually wash certain silverware and cu- – well, not silverware. Basically, my coffee cups – much less frequently now. So before, you know, I used to drink it and put it in the dishwasher. But now, like, I'll use the same coffee cup all week. Because yeah. if you think about it, you're putting hot coffee, boiling water into a cup. And it's yeah. sterilizing it again. Exactly. You know, so it's just taking these little steps mm-hmm. to decrease the amount that you put out. Yeah, totally. the planet. That Absolutely. is something that Joe Schmo can do at home. There you go. Finally, we have something for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also, like, you know, and I know that it seems a little bit silly at first, but, like, bring your own damn cup to your favorite coffee shop and have them fill it up. And, like, you don't need to, like, finagle with them about the size. They'll figure out, like, oh, this is equivalent to a small, small medium, large. Like, who cares? I even go so far as to um, – I keep, like, a pretty – heavy-duty Tupperware in my desk at work, and then when I go to get lunch during my break, like, I will bring that with me if I remember to, and be like, hi, can you just, like, put it in here? Or, like, I already have the tear figured out, so, like, if it's done by weight, I'm like, okay, the tear is .86, so just subtract that from the grand total. And um, it just helps to not, you know, put so much stuff out there. But, yeah, especially with detergents and things like that. Oh, another thing. Um, it, you We're guys, actually running out of time, but... <laughs> no, we're not. We're actually not. We're doing pretty well. This is only going to be about a half-hour episode, which is perfect. We're right on oh, schedule. Not, oh, right. Be, yes, you're right. Look at me. But, okay, oh. something that was brought to my attention a few years ago that I never thought of, unless it is your waste or toilet paper, please don't flush anything down the toilet that shouldn't be flushed. Dental floss, uh, baby wipes hair even, um, things like when you do, when you take your nail polish off and you have all the nail polish remover, don't throw those cotton swabs into 
your your toilet. First of all, it's going to clog everything up. But second of all, it just pollutes the water even further. And the people that work in, you know, water and waste management, like they're just constantly battling people who are improperly disposing of all of their, you know, waste items. So just toss it in the trash can. If it stinks, then take the trash out that night. I don't care. Stop putting things in the toilet that should not go in the toilet. So this was pretty good. Mike, I think I really like this sort of this this PowerPoint presentation format. It's really working for us. Do you have any science news? Is there anything that happened in the scientific community over the past few weeks that you want to share with people? Um, I've been pretty like head to the grind lately, so I can tell you (laughs) some exciting news in my research. Yes. (laughs) So I actually found out that um, I have five new microbial species that I get to characterize. So these are species that no one else has ever seen before, and I get to tell the world about them. So, Girl, Miss Which is so cool, right? I'm so excited. (laughs) That's really cool. Congratulations. Yeah. When you actually name them, uh, can can it be a microscope world exclusive? Well, (laughs) I was actually going to do mine off a bunch of, like, Harry Potter references or RuPaul's Drag Races. But they have to meet, like, a certain taxonomic or, like, they need to be named in a certain way. Yeah, so. Damn Damn you. (laughs) No, it's, it's like this, it's science. The scientific board of regulations. Naming species is like, no, 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 you can't name this Dumbledoreus. Why not? (laughs) Can you imagine that? I, I can't. I just. Uh, I, ten years from now, when you're up on a stage and you're like, doing a big presentation for thousands of people, you'd be like, "And when I was in my twenties, I discovered Dumbledoreus." <laughs> Dumbledoreus. <laughs> well, my- I actually have a friend. Uh-huh. Yeah, I have, I have a friend who's naming a bunch of uh, microbes that live around hydrothermal vents. And he is having just a field day with naming. He's, he's so lucky. That's so cool. That really is. Yeah. That's such a cool thing. You're you're in a great spot. I'm I'm so happy for you. But thank you very much for doing the PowerPoint presentation and um for making the time to meet with me before we record, so we can you know you can give me a lesson. I have my notebook out and the, I did sort of know what I was talking about today. So good on me. But um, what can we look forward to as we? look to future episodes so we actually have an exciting next episode where we will actually be interviewing one of the lead research researchers in marine snow yeah so yeah yeah (laughs) that's gonna be fantastic we're so excited and you know we have such an interesting audience and i would like to say hello to the scientific community first and foremost i want to say thank you all for not emailing me or sliding into my DMs and telling me how dumb I am. I And I mean that in all sincerity. That's I was really job. nervous. No. <laughs> Thanks. And, and trust me, he does. But that was my biggest fear doing this show is that, like, I'm not a scientist and I don't work in, in science at all. And I was so afraid that people were going to be like, why the hell is this girl here? But I so appreciate that everyone is cheering us on and you guys are asking fantastic questions. I loved going live a couple weeks ago. That was a lot of fun. Um, and I really appreciate how accepting 
everyone has been towards me and also how patient you've been. So we're really looking forward to raising the level of the show, getting a little bit more, not necessarily into the weeds, but raising it to a, a certain level of academia that I think will still be digestible, but it's going to be up, you know, where it needs to be. And I think that's a great direction for us to be headed in. So let's sign out this episode. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. My name is Samantha. My name is Mike, and thank you all for tuning in. You've just listened to Microscope. We'll see you soon.